morning we are continuing our journey through the book of Genesis. Um, we're going to be in chapters 45 and 46 this morning. Um, if you uh, are following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, that should be on page 39. I want to start us off the, this morning with... Uh, Asking a few questions for us to to think about as we approach this this passage. Uh, are you content with where God has you right now? Are you satisfied in your circumstances? Are you facing struggle, suffering, discontentment, or restlessness? What is your heart longing for? Where is your heart saying, if I only had blank, then I'd be content? And to think about that, that thing that your heart longs for, what you're thinking. If, if that thing or that person, that circumstance was offered to you right now, would you take it? Remember, as we've been working our way through Genesis, uh, God's people have are in the midst of great suffering, struggle, strife, and conflict. Uh, these uh, these struggles with contentment in the midst of uh, of famine, of plenty, of of false imprisonment, of uh, of abandonment and rejection uh, is uh, is plaguing uh, not only the people who are in the midst of our of our story that we're reading, Jacob and his sons, but also remember Moses has written Genesis to the people of Israel who are in Egypt and they're facing and struggling with the same things and their 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 hearts are saying, if only certain things were different, then it would be better. If if only we were delivered from Egypt, or later on in their story, if only we could go back to Egypt, things would be better. If only, God, you gave us this or gave us that. Uh, what do we do when we encounter these, these circumstances, these things in our lives, and our hearts are saying out to us, this is what I need, this is what I'm longing for. If I had this, only then would it be better. How do we begin to evaluate and discern if that is really what we need? Uh, or is there something else that maybe God's doing in the midst of these circumstances that we're facing and struggling with? We want to look at that this morning. Remember, uh, what's just uh, happened is uh, as uh, Joseph um, and, uh, has been in Egypt, uh, sold there by his brothers. He's risen up to prominence in Pharaoh's uh, house. He's second in command over all of Egypt. Um, his brothers have come back and forth for a while, and up to now he's kept his identity secret. Uh, but now he's just revealed himself to them, and we've seen uh, God's work in everybody's heart, of particularly Joseph and Judah's heart. And we, last week we saw it ended or two weeks ago, because it wasn't here last week, we saw it ended with their reconciliation, where before they couldn't even speak a peaceful word to Joseph. Now they're speaking freely with him, and he's embraced them and weeping with them and over them. Um, and this week, what we're going we're gonna to move 
on from that as we see his word spreads to Pharaoh of this news and his word gets back to their father, Jacob. So if you would, uh, turn with me. We're going to start in verse 16 of chapter 45 and go uh, through verse 27 of uh, chapter 46. So follow along with me if you would. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for, their, for his father on the journey. Then he set his, sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here, I am, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I, also, I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman, uh, the sons of Levi, Gershon, uh, Kohath, and Mariar, I, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, uh, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan, and the sons of Perez, or Hezron, and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron, uh, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. 
Altogether, his sons and daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Hagi, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imnah, Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, with Sarah, their sister. And the sons of uh, Beriah, Heber, and Malchiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And, she, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, who Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Bekir, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jazer, and Shalim. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob whom came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, who were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, uh, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your word. Uh, we, uh, we need you. We need your instruction. We need your shaping. We need to understand more of your character that we would walk with you uh, in faithfulness and trust. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply your word to the hearts of your people uh, this morning. God, my, my speech as we work through these, uh, this passage uh, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Remember all that uh, Jacob has been suffering up to this point. They're in the midst of this great famine uh, that has extended throughout uh, this entire region, um, not just in Egypt, but all the way up into Canaan where, where Jacob is. Uh, he's wondering if they're going to have enough uh, foods to make it. Are they going to live? Are they going to die? Also, what he's wrestling with is he's already uh, he's lost his, uh, his favorite wife. Rachel has already died. His favorite son, Joseph, from his thoughts, has been... Uh, been um, slaughtered by an animal, but what we realize is he was sold into slavery. Now what he's faced is he's had to give up his his next beloved son, Benjamin, in order to send him back to Egypt in order to secure more grain um, because of uh, Joseph's testing of his, uh, of his brothers. Um, Jacob is here struggling um, in, uh, in uh, great confusion and uh, the future is unknown of what is going to happen. How are they going to survive? How are they going to make it? What are they going to do? And so uh, Jacob here gets this news, news that comes back with this offer from Pharaoh, this absolutely amazing offer that comes from Pharaoh. You notice all that, that Pharaoh says uh, to, uh, to, to Jacob. Pharaoh's, uh, as we, we pick up in verse, uh, verse 16 or 17 and following, load your beasts and go back to Canaan. 
and take your father and, and, and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You shall eat of the fat of the land. You're to tell Joseph, and Joseph is the command, and, say, and to do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods at all. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Uh, Pharaoh is, is, is offering them great relief in the midst of their, of their suffering. Pharaoh is saying, come to me. Come to me and I will provide for you. Leave the land you're in and come to the land that I'm inviting you to. There you will experience all the blessing I have to offer. Never again will you need to hunger. Even in the midst of this famine, I'm going to provide for you. All the best of Egypt will be yours. Come and live and dwell with me. The best of Egypt is yours. Don't even worry about your stuff. Even if you have to leave everything behind, leave it and come because what I have to offer is better than anything you will leave behind. What, a, what an incredible thing Pharaoh is communicating. It's like he's, he's putting his best recruiting tactics in place. He really, really wants Jacob and his family to come here. But... Does any, of this, does any of this sound familiar? It seems like, man, in the midst of famine and struggle and suffering, I've heard Joseph is there. The longing of my heart, my son I thought was dead. Now he's alive. Not only can I go and see him, but we can dwell in Egypt securely. We don't have to wander around anymore. Sojourners and strangers here in Canaan, we can go and settle down in Egypt kick back in my old age? Remember back before, though, with, with Abraham, a similar scenario came up. Famine comes into the area. What does Abraham do? In response to the, the famine that's going on, Abraham's thoughts are, what I really need in the middle, midst of my circumstances and my struggles the provision that I need that will make things better is to leave Canaan, to leave the famine, and to go to Egypt. But what happens there? There, Abraham lies about Sarah. being as, He says that she's his, his sister. And in the midst of that, Sarah is compromised in such a way that we wonder, will the promise even make it? Abraham's in jeopardy of dying in light of the, the lie that he's told Pharaoh. He brings judgment upon Egypt. And uh, Sarah almost gets, uh, and we, we, even when we were looking at that passage, it was unsure to know whether she was actually brought into Pharaoh's harem or not. Later, Jacob's father, Isaac, another famine comes into the land of Canaan. Uh, and as Isaac's wondering what to do, God specifically comes and says to Isaac, do not go to Egypt. Dwell here. Sojourn here in Canaan in the midst of the, the famine. Here, it's a, a similar scenario. Jacob struggling in famine in Canaan. The offer is here to find your relief. Find your provision. Find your salvation in Egypt. How 
you respond? In the midst of famine and struggle, is this not the longing of your heart? What you think, well, I need food. I need provision. I need shelter and security. I need my son. And now here it is. But this also is another similar scenario that's going on. Remember when God met Abraham? He was Abram at the time. He was living in Ur, and God speaks to him and says, I want you to leave your land. I want you to come to the land that I'm going to show you, and there I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And ultimately, all the nations are going to be blessed through you. I need you to come and trust in me. I will provide for you. Here, we have Pharaoh's offer, and we have God's offer, this covenant offer that He is going to be with God's people in the land of Canaan that He's promised to to give them. Um, In some ways, if you look at it, Pharaoh's offer looks a little bit better than God's at this point. Famine? Struggle? Strife here in Canaan? You're talking, I don't have to wander at all. You're going to give me all the food and everything that I need, all the comfort. What do you do? Um, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a music festival that was called the Fire Festival. F-Y-R-E, uh, if you're wondering how to, how to spell it. Because it was going to be lit, L-Y-T. Uh, it was, uh, that's, from what I'm understanding, that's like slang for really good, maybe. <laughs> so, um, this was supposed to be, uh, it was described and marketed as the cultural moment of the decade. It was going to be this two-weekend-long music festival that was going to be held on the island of Exuma in the Bahamas. Um, tickets started at $1,500 uh, for the weekend. You would get a, a specially chartered uh, Boeing jet from Miami that would fly you into Exuma. There, you wouldn't need anything because you're going to put all your money on a, on a bracelet uh, so you could pay for everything that's there. They promised the best in food, art, music, and adventure on an island that was once owned by Pablo Escobar. On the boundaries of the impossible, fire is an experience and a festival, a quest to push beyond those boundaries. You were going to live in these geodesic domes. All the food was going to be there for you to purchase. They were, you're were going to be able to charge your cell phones and all of this, uh, this stuff. Well, people started arriving as they were hoping to escape the, the boredom of life in uh, April in the States or wherever around the world and go to this great experience to experience all the promise and provision that the festival, the fire festival would provide. People showed up and they start looking around. The bus that drops them off leaves. It's just white tents set up. Packing containers. The stage is half assembled. There's no food. There's no power. There's no cell phones. Uh... They were not able to come through with their promises. All the hopes that they have, they had, that they were placing in the fire festival, they show up. And it's complete disappointment. 
In fact, because they came thinking they weren't going to need anything, nobody had cash. How do you get back to the airport? How do you get back home? The taxis only take cash. You're stranded. There's no food there because the festival didn't follow through with what they were supposed to do. Uh, You also can't call anywhere because your cell phone died and they also don't have anywhere for you to plug up to charge and get out. Disappointment in the midst of this great promise and and privilege, uh, or promise of provision. And uh, eventually the people got off. They they canceled the the next weekend. Um, But they issued, they sent this email out to everybody who had purchased tickets, offering a refund. But they also put this on the end. Uh, The email included a link to a form that uh, attendees could use to apply for a refund. Uh, But at the end, it it said this. um, You can also opt not to receive a refund. If you would prefer to defer the refund and get tickets for next year's festival, we'll give you some extra passes. So if you bought three this year, we'll give you six next year. After that experience, would, do you think anyone is going to take them up on next time's offer? Have you ever been in that situation, though? Where you've put your hopes in something that will provide and answer your longings? your desires in the midst of your your struggle or your situation and your circumstances, the thing that you hope and you know and that you've been longing for that you think will bring relief, that will bring satisfaction, that will bring significance. And you get there only to find out it completely disappoints. It completely lets you down. And you're there standing there with nothing. But then... Time goes on, struggle comes back a few months or weeks or maybe even the next day for some of us. The same offer comes up again. If you would only come to me, I will provide for you. I know it didn't pan out last time, but I'm offering two more tickets. Do you want to try it again? Do you want to see if I will provide for you again? How many times do we go back to the same thing, seeking satisfaction and provision, only to find ourselves disappointed again? Pharaoh's offer here, is it truly an offer of provision? Or is it going to just be another temptation? Something to like Abraham Or like even the draw that it had on Isaac that he was warned not to go. To go to Egypt. To turn to something that in the past has had a history of disappointing and failing God's people. It's going to result in disappointment when they get there. How how do you figure it out? What do you do in a situation and a circumstance like that? Well, let's look at at Jacob. How How does he... Respond. Look at, look at what happens. He gets word of this incredible provision that is being offered to him from Egypt. Look in verse uh, 28 and following. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. In 28, we see Jacob is at least saying, all right, I'm going to go see Joseph. 
seeing doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stay forever. Notice what happens next. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. This would have been on the southern end of the promised land, southern end of Canaan. This is the end of where, I mean, at that point it's famine, but typically this would have been the edge of where it's fertile. Next is just desert until and barrenness until you get to, to Egypt. There God had met with Abraham and Isaac before. So here comes Jacob. And Jacob offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And in verse 2, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Uh, So before taking Pharaoh up on his offer, Jacob goes to God. He goes and he sacrifices these uh, at the the altar in Beersheba to to God, and and he's, he's seeking after the Lord. This is a mark of maturing in Jacob. Do you remember how Jacob's responded if we look back in his life up to this point? If Jacob thought something was going to bring fulfillment, if Jacob thought something was going to change and better his contentment in the midst of his circumstances, he just went after it. Remember early on with his struggles with Esau and wanting to go after the birthright and the blessing. There's no mention of Jacob ever seeking the Lord, even though he'd heard the promise that it was going to come through him and not Esau. He just went after it, whether it meant deceptive means or whatever. When he was interacting with his father, Isaac, again, Jacob thought, if I can just deceive my father going along with Rachel's plan, he didn't seek after the Lord. There's no record of Jacob or anyone in that scenario coming before God. He just goes after what he thinks will bring provision and satisfaction. Then he gets to, to Laban and this interaction and Jacob looking for a, for a wife. He goes after immediately what it is that he wants and he thinks he needs only to find himself in this, this deceptive uh, um, place where, where Laban manipulates him for year after year after year. And even he finds that, that whole scenario with, his, uh, with his, uh, uh, his wives as well. But here we see a maturing Jacob. A Jacob who is now beginning to question his own heart, his own desire, his own longings. Man, this really does look good. In the midst of famine, in the midst of struggle, isn't this what we've wanted? But let me... I don't know about this. Let me go and seek God first. What's he talking to God about? What is Jacob concerned about? What is he looking at? Well, God's response to Jacob gives us a little bit of insight in what is going on in Jacob's heart and his mind. Notice that when God first talks, the first thing that he says is, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid. God is beginning to address Jacob's fears. There's something about going to Egypt that has Jacob concerned. Fear is being brought up in his heart and on his mind about what may lie ahead. What, what is he uh, 
What is he afraid of? Well, apparently based on what God is responding with here and the provision and the the promises that God is giving Jacob is Jacob's fears have to do with the promise. The promise that God in the land of Canaan is going to bless his people, that he's going to make them a great nation and he's going to use them to bless the world. Notice what all God says here. God reminds him, reminds Jacob of his past faithfulness. I am God, the God of your father, the God who gave these promises to your father and who was faithful to him. Uh, he, he reminds him of and promises future fulfillment of the promise in Egypt, though. He says, there I'm going to make you into a great nation. He continues to promise his presence that I'm going to, uh, to be with you. He promises at some point on in the future You will return to the land. The promise is still there. These concerns that are coming up from Jacob. And he even answers his concerns that you indeed will see Joseph, the one that your heart has been hurting and longing for. Jacob is concerned in the midst of this offer for for uh, satisfaction and provision. His heart now, as he analyzes what's going on, it goes back to the promise Jacob is beginning to consider in the midst of this this situation, how does my going to Egypt affect God's calling in my life and his purposes to fulfill his, his promises? This is what's on Jacob's mind. Really what it, what it begins to get at is, is this question of, I need to realize and understand in my own heart as I'm making this decision and I'm moving forward, am I trusting in Pharaoh or am I going to trust in God? Because the danger is, is that all that Pharaoh's offering, even though God has said he's called me to, to Canaan, I'm very concerned that if I, of where my heart may be going, am I resting and relying on, on Pharaoh and his provision and beginning to think that God will not meet my needs. God will not provide as He said. But also the thing that's, that's going on here is the question of will the promise be fulfilled? What happens? If we leave here, what will this mean for the promise? Because God has promised to bless us here in Canaan. He has promised to make us a great nation here. I've seen what's happened in the past when our people went to Egypt. It resulted in disaster and struggle. Are we going here just to die? Or are we going to go here and never return to Canaan? What is going to happen to the promise? What's going to happen to the fulfillment? What's going to happen to the restoration of all things that God has promised? I need to make sure, God, before I go here, are you, is this where you're leading me? And how will our actions as your people moving on forward in this step affect your calling and your purposes for me? Because what we've already seen and what we see here, this is where it gets into God's offer and Pharaoh's offer. Pharaoh's offer may begin to look better. Because you notice what, what God is saying here is God isn't, Pharaoh is promising to meet Jacob's immediate needs quickly. Come to Egypt and I'm going to provide. In fact, I'm going to send wagon loads of food so that you're provided for on the way. But God's saying, you know what? It's going to be a while. We've already heard God tell Abraham that 
his people are going to go to Egypt and they're going to be there for over 400 years. God is saying, yeah, Jacob, I'm going to take you there to Egypt and I'm going to make you a great nation there. I'm not moving fast. In fact, it's going to take some time. And in fact, uh, Jacob, you're actually going to be there so long, you're going to die. You will die in Egypt. You will die in Egypt before you experience the full fulfillment of the promises. And if you remember with Abraham, and the people are going to suffer there for a long time. It's as if what God is communicating and saying to us as His people, as we think about God's calling and His purposes in our lives, as He's saying, look, the calling that I have for you isn't that you will experience a life of ease. It isn't that you'll experience everything and my work in your life and in the world quickly as soon as you want it. I'm not calling you and I'm I'm not saying that you are promised a life of comfort or ease. And I'm also not saying I'm not calling everybody to the same path. I've told Isaac not to go to Egypt and I told Abraham through my discipline of him, that he shouldn't have gone to Egypt. But right now, what I'm saying is that for you, in this moment and this time, the best thing for you is to go to Egypt. Hold on. You said they couldn't go. But see, God is saying, my plan and my purposes as I work it out in everyone's life is going to be different. But the key thing that we see here is Jacob is looking at his own heart and he's bold enough to ask and to come before God for God to begin to reveal his inner desires and longings and for them to be to come. Am I going to trust God in the midst of this? Or am I going to trust and rely on these other provisions? But that's tough to hear these things, the time, the potential suffering, as we've already seen God has called his people to suffering Uh, back in. 1945, uh, Hallmark uh, started their their slogan and their branding as being known as the uh, the on the back of their cards and in their their ads and their commercials. Hallmark, when you care enough to send the very best, um, the idea meaning that if you really really love and care for someone, you will send them a Hallmark card. Because when you get a Hallmark card with the message that Hallmark has written and that you've picked out especially for your loved one and you mail it and you send it to them and they receive it, that communicates that uh, I love you this much and I'm sending you the best. Now, I don't question the sending of cards and how important words can be. I've received some great encouraging notes that have bring brought a lot of encouragement and lifted my heart up. Um, but if I think back to the notes that I remember, I don't. There aren't significant cards, Hallmark cards that I have that I really remember. But this is what sticks out to me: moments when people have shown up. Particularly, one thing that I've been thinking about this week is I remember when my grandmother died in high school. Her town was over an hour away from Charlotte where I grew up, and we went to the funeral. I received some cards from people. But as I was walking out of the, after the, the, the funeral service was over and we were walking down the aisle of the church, 
I remember looking over to the right-hand side and standing in the back of my grandmother's church up against the wall was my English teacher. She had driven all the way to Char- from, from Charlotte to my grandmother's hometown to be at this funeral. I didn't even tell her my grandmother died. That was 20 years ago. Her presence made an impact in my life. She cared enough that she came. She cared enough that she wanted to be there with me and for me. You notice at the the core of what God is saying here to Jacob is, look, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be tough. But I'm promising you that I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you. God spoke to Jacob and he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. In verse 4, emphatically he says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. Speaking of God's people entirely. God here, in the midst of what's going on, He's promising to give the very best. He's promising to give Himself. You see, circumstances will change. The The situations that we find ourselves in, whether it's plenty or want, suffering or or, uh, success. But what we're hearing and seeing here is the character of our God who has covenanted to be with us. What He has promised is not that the circumstances will be easy, not that you'll always be comfortable, not that you'll always live, but that I will be with you. How do we know that? How do we know that? Think about Jacob. Where have you been? Where have you been for the past 20 years when Joseph was gone? Where have you been? This is the first time I've heard from you since uh, I showed up back in the land after I left Padanaram. Where are you? Where were you when Joseph got taken? Where, Where have you been in the midst of this famine? Or think about Israel. When they're receiving this from Moses, they've been suffering in Egypt for 400 years. You're supposed to be with us. Where were you, God? How do we know? But what have we seen in Genesis so far? In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of Joseph being taken away, in the midst of the famine, God was at work. He was with His people and even here, look at how it ends up as God is, is inviting, inviting his people to reconsider and to review and look back on his provision in the past. How about how God has been working and how he is working? Maybe you don't always think about it like this, but maybe you were wondering, why are you reading all of these names, of this genealogy at the end? Well, remember how the promise started? When God met Abraham 
and Sarah and called them to come to the promised land. How big was the family? Two people. Abraham and Sarah. They couldn't have children. So God opened her womb. Then there was Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Then from Isaac, twins came. And out of Jacob's line, we begin to see slowly and slowly the people are growing. And so to read through this name of people, what we're actually seeing is God beginning to fulfill His promises of Abraham, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be with your children and your children's children. I'm going to make them a great nation so that the world will be blessed and that we will bring about the promised one who will take care of all the effects to rescue us from our sin and restore all things. The, the end of this, of moving from three people to over 70, communicates God is at work and He has been at work. But think then about Israel as they look at it, as Moses is writing this. Now they're over a million. The nation has grown. God's promises have, are being fulfilled. But what about us? Now, where we are, as we look back, not just at this genealogy, not just at God's provision in Egypt, but God's deliverance out of Egypt. God's building them into a nation. God providing kings. God answering even more fully that I am with you by entering into our world, entering into our suffering, dying for our sin. God said, I will be with you and I will deliver you and I will bring you back out. How do you know? Because I'm coming into your world. I'm going to die for you and I'm going to rise again. And right now, in the midst of the struggles and the suffering that you're facing, you can know and hope and trust, even as you receive these other offers of provision, these other offers that say that I will satisfy you, and if only you had this, your longings will be met. God says, no, look and hope in me. Because I am the one, the only one, who can provide for you. I'm the one who gave myself for you. God is calling us to, in the midst of these circumstances and struggles that we face, to come to Him. To come and, and pray, to listen, to ask for our hearts to be open and revealed at what our true longings are. And that whether God leads us in the path that we're hoping for or not, that we rest, that we rest in His presence and His provision for us as His people because He has not even withheld His Son from us as we await His return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your promises. We thank You that You have given us the best. You cared enough. We pray that You would continue Your work in us, Your people. Even if it's You bringing in the, the suffering and the hardship to expose in us where we're clinging to things we shouldn't be, that we would hope more in You because we know that it is only You that will ultimately satisfy and sustain us as we await Your restoring all things. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. As Jesus was on His...